0: Hey everybody, Pastor Philip Jackson here from Evergreen and from REACH. Uh, Wanted to introduce this episode. It's a little different than our normal format. Normally we have a full lesson uh, exegetical sermon but in this episode, we call this Frequently Asked Questions, and what we do is we take random questions from the crowd, and we do our best to apply a biblical hermeneutic to those questions. So um, you'll hear me and uh, my colleague Taylor Gabbert, our pastor college students, as well as Krista Smith, um, who works with the Baptist Collegiate Ministries um, at the University of Central Oklahoma. Krista is a friend and former intern here at Evergreen, um, and she's awesome. So we'll get to the episode. Here we go. You cross the power of hell, yeah. Wash over us, bring your glory down. We do this every year around this time. Oh, somebody knocked out. off. Um, so the phone number up there, that's my cell phone number. So if you guys have been wanting it forever, you have it now. Um, I'm just kidding. It's in the church directory, so it's not a secret. <laughs> um, so here's how this is going to work. So God's Word says that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is, uh, I'll just read you this passage. I'm not going to preach a sermon, but you never know. I might.
1: We're never going to talk. We're never going to talk.
0: <laughs> I just want to wanna remind you guys of context, Okay. Oh. Scoot in a little bit. It's like a family
1: picture. Oh, there that's, we go. Brittany wants to get
0: us all. <laughs> Taylor's gonna sit uh, on my. He's gonna sit uh, on my lap. I'm Zoom. ready. <laughs> it's like a puppet. Sorry.
1: Uh, hey, I oh, that. easy. Uh-huh.
0: Okay, so so listen to this. Uh, the Apostle Paul writing to his uh, protege Timothy. These are. This is in Second Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul wrote. His final words, and he says this. He says. It says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, and at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then from childhood, you have, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is <coughs> profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that we live in a generation much like our ancestors in the faith, that is openly hostile to our tradition and hostile to the, the what God has revealed to us through His Word. Um, that being the case, Scripture is our is our lifeboat, right? And Scripture, if it is the truth, is not intimidated by questions. And so tonight, we want to answer questions. So, literally, anything that you have on your mind, we can talk about. Um, none of us have done any, any preparation really other than spending time on God's Word this morning ourselves and spending some time in prayer today. Um, so can we'll, we just can we just pray right now? That's a great idea, Krista. Oh, okay. Look at cool. you. Yeah. Such a leader. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you pray for us? Okay.
1: God, I thank you just so much for this time. Um and just for this opportunity just to have an open discussion just about who you are, and about your word, um, and just about all the things that are going on in our culture, and just even the things that are going on within our hearts, and just how to handle them, Lord. Um, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just um, begin stirring within the hearts of these students in here just to um, ask the questions that that they have, God. Um, And Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me and Taylor and PJ, God, and I pray that we would just be vessels for your truth tonight, God. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Amen. Okay. So while we're waiting for our first question to come through the Um let's... Uh, I mean, I've got one.
2: Okay.
0: I, I always have a question. You always have a yes. question, Brittany. I'm always talking,
2: so I was trying
0: to wait. Why don't you just go ahead? Um, Last time you really got me. uh, Oh, I know. This
1: this isn't a nuclear take, okay? This is subtle. Um, It's
2: subtle. I feel so good about this. The difference between um, being tempted and being tested. What's like a biblical take on how you know when it's God and how you know it's the enemy? You know what I mean? You know what
0: I'm saying? Okay. I immediately thought of James chapter 1. You guys, what? Nothing. There's just I don't know. Okay, here's two things, right? So I would categorize temptation as <clears throat> being drawn away by our own sinful flesh, mm-hmm. and testing being uh, God drawing the sinfulness out of us. So testing our strength, essentially, right? So think of like an engineer doing a stress test on a something that they've engineered. Okay, so there's two passages of scripture. One is James chapter one. And the other is is in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe. Okay, so James chapter 1 says this, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he, he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Okay, so we're drawn away by our lust and enticed. That's what temptation is. Okay, I'll read this passage and then these two can, can give their perspective. Hebrews chapter 12 the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we should not look down on conviction or despise conviction because it's proof that we are God's children. Okay, he says this. He says, He says, says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. This is is Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the, the encouragement which speaks to you as to sons. So quote from the Old Testament he says my son do not despise the chastening of the lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the lord loves he chastens or he he uh, convicts and scourges every son whom he receives if you endure chastening uh, god deals with you as with sons for what son is there whom a father does not correct but if you are without correction of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate and not sons furthermore We have had human fathers who have corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days convicted us, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no conviction seems to be joyful in the present, or in the moment, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, so Hebrews tells us that this conviction is actually, this testing is from God where he is actually drawing the sinfulness out of us. Do you have anything?
2: Yeah, uh, the other thing about this, I think that really does cover it, but the other thing about this is that we know the Bible tells us that God is working all things to the good of those who believe in Mm -hmm. him, which doesn't, we discussed, does not mean that God makes only good things happen to us, right? Mm -hmm. But so you couldn't look at temptation and say, well, that's, it's good that I'm tempted, that I desire evil things, right? But God is constantly redeeming those moments to produce Christ likeness in us, right? So the, uh, when we're drawn away and enticed, God is, is producing likeness in the resistance of that, in the testing, that, that testing, that um, stress test, if you will. And so, uh, you know, I can look at my story and I can say, man, I, I went— way of field of what god had for me in my life and yet that that story has become something that god has produced christ-likeness out of so um god isn't tempting us but he is redeeming that tempting
1: i think just a quick thing we so we talked about this on sunday Um sorry i'm like looking at you but you're the one that asked the question um it's this idea of being set apart from the world so i think you kind of have to ask yourself, Was what I'm going through or is what I'm about to do, is it glorifying to God? Meaning, is this going to make me look more like the world? I would say that would be temptation to sin. But if it makes you more set apart from the world, it's just God testing you. Um, and sometimes those tests look like you going through a dry season and he is just testing you in, um, I mean, look at Job. I mean, and how... He went through, I mean, all those awful things, yet he was still faithful. He did stumble towards the end, but he continued to be faithful as he was being tested. So that's all I would say. That's
0: good. Okay, first question here, or second question. Um, You are talking to a new believer, and they ask you, What is faith, and how does that look in my life? What would your answer be? What is faith, and how does that look in my life?
1: Okay, so I actually, um, me and Ava were just talking about this. Okay, there is an illustration. Everyone, picture a train in your mind, okay? Mm. You have um, the, what is, okay, I'm sorry. you have, <laughs> okay, you have, um, What is the... What's the first cart called? The conductor's... What is that called? Engine. Caboose. Thank you. The engine. Okay, I literally just went through this with Ava. So close. Close, but not. Okay, so track with me. You have the engine, okay? And the engine on it, it says fact. And then in the middle cart, it says faith. And then the last cart, which is the caboose, there it is, Um, it has feeling. Okay, so at the beginning of all this, you have your fact, okay? And your fact is pulling everything so your fact is pulling your faith so fact is we live in a world and there's creation and creation <coughs> proves a creator so the fact is that you live in a world and your faith is that oh there is a creator that created all these things which our faith is Christ and God and then your your feeling is pulled by these things or JK no it's the caboose, mm-hmm. not the not the engine um, your faith is the end result and can a caboose conduct a train? It cannot. Therefore, the thing that is at the very end your feeling cannot go before your faith. And I'm saying all of this because I think a lot of times we base our our faith off of our feeling, especially when we talk to unbelievers. Um, especially like, um, I mean, just atheists for in general and talking to them and having conversations just through my college car- career. A lot of them are like, oh, well, I don't feel God. Therefore, I don't have faith in him. But their mess up is that they're putting their faith before their, f- they're putting their feelings before their faith. Wow, so many <laughs> words. Um, so I thank you. Um, so I think in all of that, you, when someone asks what is faith, You have to also understand that everyone puts their faith within something. And so in someone saying, hey, what is faith? I think you have to kind of explain that your faith and your feeling is different. And what are you basing your decisions off of in those moments? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's just kind of a broad spectrum of a conversation you could go way deeper in with an unbeliever. But I think you really have to draw the line between faith and feeling in that. That's what I would say.
2: Yeah, I think another, uh, the phrase that's been really key for me in understanding this is the word significance. Um, so I had somebody somebody give me this idea of like, if you're sitting in a first floor of a building and somebody came up to you and said, hey, did you hear the buildings on fire? And you said, yeah, I believe that. And then you, you know went back to reading your newspaper. You may have like an intellectual understanding, like you may believe in that, but what's the significance of it, right? So um, when we, we say that faith and belief are synonymous, right? But the question is, how are you acting on it, right? Mm-hmm. So James, James points to uh, the demons, and he says, even the demons believe and they shudder. And people chalk this up to, in a way that they like, want to cast out the word believe, but, mm-hmm. but that doesn't work because John uses the word believe almost exclusively. So you can't just get rid of the word believe. Um, they're not different things the key in James and you have to understand that James is always working backwards, right? He's working from the result to the belief, right? And the key part of what he's saying is that the demons shudder. Their result of their belief is to shudder. Like demons don't have to like trust that God exists. They know he exists. They 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 believe that he is there, right? But their their result of that understanding of God is that they're enemies. They're afraid of him, right? And so the question in your life, if you want to know, how, how does faith look? Are you acting on it, mm-hmm. right? Like um, I I used to uh, jump out of planes, and when I jumped out of planes, I had to put faith in my parachute. I couldn't just look at a parachute like in the corner and be like, yeah, I believe that parachute will help me get to the ground, right? I had to actually jump and see if it if it caught me right so there's significance to my belief because if i didn't believe actually believe that that parachute was going to catch me i would not have jumped out of that plane
0: Mm -hmm.
2: right so the question that i love that question because the question is not just to define faith and i think we stop there a lot like faith and belief okay there it is like i can believe in santa claus right but what but what does that what is the significance of that belief how does it affect my life and that, that's the question that you have to ask yourself is, does your belief result in sanctification, in a righteousness, in a chasing of Jesus? If it doesn't, there's something deficient in your belief, right? And that, that's, that's
0: the, the line that you have to judge it off of. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would say that to piggyback off of that, the faith is belief in motion, right? And the other, one of the things that you begin to realize as you get older, as you as you jump out of the airplane um, again and again with the Lord and you begin to do radical things, uh, things that don't make any sense. Uh, and you see him come through in the, in your obedience, not just in producing something for you like some. There's, a, there's a, you know, the, you got the prosperity gospel that says, you know, if you just say things into existence, they'll happen. God is not out for you to get extra things. He wants you to have him. And so anything that he's going to challenge you to do is going to be stripping away the things that are getting in the way of you seeing and knowing him. All right? Our purpose our purpose, and everything is to know him okay. and to make him known. And one of the things about faith that I think is incredible is that God allows us to, to test him and to try him with our obedience. And when, we're, when we obey, he comes through. And what happens is that builds confidence for the next time. No matter how radical the obedience might be, it could be something as simple as give this guy five bucks. Or it could be something as big as I want you to sell everything you have and move to another country. Um, one of the things that I've learned about God in in the thirty years or so that I've been chasing Him is that every time that I that He's asked me to do something and I've actually done it, it has built my confidence for the next thing. I don't go from uh, Jesus saving me to moving to Africa. Like God is going to He's going to sanctify me and He's going to He's going to teach me. How to trust his heart, and my my faith is not something that's built overnight. It's something that's built over a lifetime. And in doing that, I think that what God does is is he's not about uh, he's not about the destination. He's about he's about teaching us to enjoy the journey with him. And I had a conversation with a with a good friend at camp, um, and he was talking about just the everyday macaroni and cheese struggles of life, right and uh, God paying our bills, Matthew six, and the struggle of am I are we gonna know if God is gonna have enough if we're gonna have enough to put food on the table or to pay our bill or to come up with whatever financial resource? And he said it's almost like God is just saying, why don't you just ride with me? Why don't you just be content to ride with me and let me take care of it and let me do God's stuff and you do human stuff and let me show up and see things. So faith is belief in action, that's what I would say. Um next question. What are some practical ways to debate or discuss with others in love? And how do we balance looking to the word for the truth in controversial topics without looking for ways to fight? Okay, let me read that one again. What are some practical ways to debate or discuss with others in love? And how do we balance looking to the word for the truth in controversial topics without looking for ways to fight? I think I think if I understand this question right, it is. How do I broach these subjects? How do I talk about these subjects in a way that is uh, not abusive or offensive? And also, how do I read my Bible without looking for ammunition? Um, either one of you don't want to jump on that? What's What
2: verse do you have open for this?
0: I don't. This isn't for this. This is oh. for another one.
2: I was going to reference the uh, removing the log from your own eye before you address the speck in oh. someone I'm else's. I just, um, you, yeah, I, I think the key, right the key is an overdeveloped understanding of how patient God is with you and how wrong you are a lot of the time and if you have a re- if you come to that reality of just how messed up you are and I think about this like you are so wrong all of the time that if God didn't have patience with you you would just cease to exist <laughs> So if you can't look at the patience that God has for you in in just how flawed you are, um, if you are ignorant of that or you're denying that, that's called pride. And that's what's leading you to a place where you are attacking other people. Now, if you come to a place where your heart for somebody is, I want you to have the best relationship with God you can have. Well, now all of a sudden, I'm keeping you from running into traffic. Like I, I'm, me bringing this topic to you, me coming to you with this verse is saying, hey, you're headed for danger, and I want to stop you from heading for danger um, because I care about you. Um, and, and then part of the key here is don't police people's behavior. Work on people's hearts. People's behavior follows their hearts, and if their hearts are following Jesus, so will their behavior. Don't worry about just ensuring that somebody's looking right. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Right, So that that for me is the key is this overdeveloped sense of just how wrong I am in relationship to God and then a genuine care for this person's relationship with God and me saying, look, I'm wrong. I'm wrong all the time. But this is what I see in Scripture. And and I just want to share this with you because I don't want you to have
0: something in between you and God in your relationship. And I think that something that that we don't consider is that Jesus didn't chase people. He didn't. In fact, Jesus discriminated all the time. He presented the truth and he allowed people to make the decision whether or not to follow him. Think about the rich young ruler, right? He comes in and he says, I've done everything right. I've done. I followed all the rules. Jesus says, okay, well, one last thing. Sell everything you have, give up all your reputation, all the, all the fancy stuff you've accumulated, and uh, become a beggar and follow me. I want your heart. I don't want your stuff or your activity or your service. I want you. And it says that he that he walked away sad in heart because he had much thing, he had many things. So think about this. So Matthew chapter 7, um, a lot of people just quote verse 1, but there's actually a lot of context. Um, he says, "Judge not lest you be judged." Uh, this is the first 6 verses. For with what judgment you judge, you will also be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look as a plank in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces." couple things I'll share really briefly about this passage the first is that the first process of of confronting someone is to do introspection and to see if you have something in your life that you that you're looking for something to hit somebody with this idea of pulling the beam out of your own eye now doing that does a couple of things the first is it allows you to be able to properly see that person so you can see number one Clearly what their problem is, you can see that their behavior is following their heart. They're chasing the world, and so they have destructive behavior. But the second thing, I think probably the most important thing, it's drawn out of this. the last verse in verse 6, where he says, Don't cast what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet and turn again and tear you to pieces. That doesn't make any sense within this passage. Unless you you understand that Jesus is talking about metaphor here. He's talking about taking this divine perspective, this precious thing, and throwing it away to someone who doesn't appreciate it. So part of this idea of of doing introspection and searching your own heart is understanding whether or not that person will be receptive to your message. You can't just go around with your Bible, smacking people over the head, telling them what they do and and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Right? Mm -hmm. We got to realize that that the, the word also says that to be the world's friend is to be God's enemy. And that there's no fellowship between light and darkness. If you have friends that are not believers that do not know Jesus, they have no concept of what you're talking about. These are, these are colorblind people who see black and white and you're debating with them about shades of green. They don't understand. And what you're doing is you're teaching them to be Pharisees. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, don't be so quick to judge other people because if you want to follow through on every little bitty thing, it's also going to be measured to you that way. But also understand that going through that process, it's going to teach you what is worth what is worth doing and what it's not worth doing. And um, I think that we need, also need to understand that God loves people way more than we love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the best thing you can do for someone who is in a destructive place or going in a destructive direction is to leave them alone and to pray for them. Yeah. Because the process of prayer will change your heart towards that person.
2: If you, and actually, on that note, one of the things that I notice a lot with this age group is that you uh, you mistake compassion sometimes uh, with, with just really being the hero in somebody's story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I just—I can't—I can't just leave them to, like, face these consequences. Like, God does that. He, God lets people face consequences. That brings people back to him. And sometimes— uh, some people, by the way, are only looking for attention and sympathy. So when you're constantly pining after them, first of all, you've elevated yourself <laughs> because the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work in their life. You've elevated yourself in place of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, you're actually delaying the process of God letting them isolate to the point where they hit rock bottom. I, sometimes you've got to hit rock bottom. There are people in this room, I know because I am one of them, that do not learn from other people's mistakes. We have to find the brick wall ourselves, put our face through it, and then go, huh, that was wrong. I am,
1: um, with this, talking about kind of how do you discuss like controversial topics. I'm coming at this from the perspective of like talking about things with unbelievers. Um, and I, um, before I go into a gospel appointment or any, Anyone really at RBCM or anything, I always encourage them to read this before. And in First Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 2, it says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so I share that especially because that first Verse in verse 2, it says, I decided to know that nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think a lot of times we go into these uh, these conversations um, thinking like, well, I'm a Christian. I know the Bible, so I know better. So I'm going to put my agenda before the gospel, meaning I'm going to put what I want to say and the point I want to make. I'm going to make sure I do that first. And if we get to the gospel, it'll just be tacked on. But the gospel is literally everything. So, if you aren't understanding what that person's heart set is with the gospel, then you're literally missing everything. And I, I, um, an example of this is my second, no, my third semester at TCC, I, um, was, became really good friends with this girl, and she told me she was a Christian and she was, um, Hare Krishna and very, uh, very devout Buddhist and like read the bhagavad-gita like all these things and i was like can we get coffee so we went we got coffee and i was just like tell me what you believe and she was like well i believe in jesus and that he came and he did these things but like i also um believe in like these hindu gods and things like that and so and i was new at sharing my faith And so I instantly was like, well, you're wrong and all these things. And she kept getting coffee with me. Why? I don't know. (laughs) But we kept hanging out. And every single time I would go in with the points that I was going to make to her that day. And then it finally clicked with me through conversations with my BCM director that I was approaching it really wrong. And I was like, okay, I just need to share the gospel with her. And after I did that, I stopped leaving those meetings with her so frustrated because I was going in with my own agenda, and when my agenda wasn't wasn't prevailing in our conversations, um, then I would leave, like, just so angry, like, God, what did I do wrong? And he was like, Krista, you know what you're doing wrong. And so then when I finally just, yeah, when I finally started just sharing the gospel with her and just genuinely doing that, I also started seeing her as a human being and not someone just to sit there and listen to my opinions. And I think that's very vital. Um because once you start viewing people as souls for the kingdom, and you begin to start viewing people as, "Hey, I just care about where they're at in their relationship with Christ, um, then that's all that matters. And that's what ends up driving your conversations. So
0: Okay, um, probably have time for two more questions. Um, this one, I believe I believe. But how do I give my heart and love to someone who took someone very special away from me? Um, I feel like I can answer this one. Um, Some of you guys know that I lost a brother a couple years ago, a very close brother to me. Um, And many of you have heard the testimony of the tattoo that I have on my arm. Um, But something I think that is important for us to remember is that everybody has their own walk with God everyone has their own individual story with God and um, my brother I'm um, I not i will not go over the whole story again but my brother essentially I watched him die an inch at a time over 15 years of an alcohol addiction and um, right before he passed away about a year before he passed away um, he began to have seizures because of his alcohol addiction and um, he ended up in the ICU at Hillcrest here in Tulsa, and was out of his mind. They put him on some medications that made him uh, not know where he was, who he was, where, anything. Um, And it was really bizarre, but I sat with him in the ICU, and the nurses wouldn't let me leave because I was the only one that could calm him down. And I remember Lindsay and I went to get coffee one day, and I asked the Lord, I said, why... Why would, you, why would you allow this to happen? I thought you loved him. I thought you loved me. Why would you make me go through this? And um, I began to learn that, that when it comes to other people, and myself included, that God is very gracious and merciful in our rebellion, especially when we get caught up in things that we lose control over. And um, sometimes he, as an act of mercy, he, he releases people from those struggles that they can't get out of. And he takes them. He takes them home. Um, Lamentations, I'm probably weird, but this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, but Lamentations uh, chapter three actually is my favorite because there's so much in here that's rich. But I want to read this because it, it, it testifies again about who God is. And what I've realized is that no matter how hard the questions are, no matter how difficult the situation is, the more I learn about God, the more I come to understand that He is not the source of my trouble. I am the source of my trouble. And for other people, they are the source of their trouble. And for God to release them or take people out of our lives, sometimes that's an act of mercy. So he says this in Lamentations chapter 3. This is written by the, the prophet Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet. He never saw any, re, any uh, revival in his life, any priest, for a long time. He says, Remembering my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall, uh, or the bitterness, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. But this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Pause. He says, Remembering all this terrible stuff, it gives me hope. Okay. And then he continues. He says, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. In other words, he says, I remember this crap in my life, and it underscores and highlights the goodness and the graciousness and the faithfulness of God. And then he says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke of his youth. How many of you have thought, God, I'm grateful today to be young and ignorant and stupid. <laughs> God, I'm so thankful that I have to work on these problems and I, I've, got to, I've got to learn who you are the hard way. How many of you ever prayed that prayer? God, I really am so excited that, I've, that I woke up this morning and I'm going to fall on my butt again. But he says, Let him sit alone and keep silent, because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him, and be full of reproach. This is sweet right here. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. So. I've been there in that place where I've asked the question, God, why would you take somebody from me that I love, somebody that is special to me? Um, and I've realized that um, He cares about them much more than I do, and that sometimes, that uh, as an act of mercy, He'll take them, uh, He'll take them out of my life sooner than I expected, but that doesn't mean that He's taking them early. Okay. Um, another question here. Throughout the Bible, it uses a lot of different words for false teachings and teachers, like false prophet, false teacher, false spirits, false apostles, false brothers, heresy, false doctrine, etc., etc. Um, what is the difference in the severity of each? What's what severity of false doctrine can you believe and still be saved?
2: Yeah, you know, the bottom line for this one is: is this, the gospel is simple enough for a child. It is simple enough for for anyone to come to know Jesus, and and the reality is there's, throughout church history, there's been efforts to tack uh, extra doctrines onto salvation, mm-hmm. and and the reality is um, you can believe a lot of. Um, rather odd things about the Bible and still be saved um, as long as you are professing that Jesus is Lord and he's, that He is Savior, right? The, the Bible tells us to test the spirits and the spirits uh, to, to test the spirits means to pray and when you pray that whatever leads you to the reality that Jesus is Lord, that's what you follow because there's only one spirit that leads that way and that is the Holy Spirit. Everything in the world takes us away from that reality. Um, now there are uh, a number of heresies throughout church history that are very severe, and I'm not saying that you can believe those and and believe the gospel. A lot of those heresies are reducing Christ; they're not making him God, or they're they're or they're taking away even his humanity, right? And that changes who Jesus is and that Jesus is Lord. Right? So you see how that, that messes it up. But if we're talking about—and uh, that's the thing. is In the Bible, when it's talking about false teachers, false prophets, false doctrines, those are things that are stealing the truth of the gospel, right? Um, but you can, you can believe the truth of the gospel and disagree about uh, just uh, a number of other things. Um, I mean, there are, that's the reason we have so many different denominations, because there's various ways to see some of the text— um, as long as we don't get away from the truth of the gospel.
0: Yeah. Okay, last question. you going to read that one? Yeah,
1: quick. I'm very excited about this one. Is it wrong to date, even if you don't, want to get married? <laughs> this is my question that I stand up on. I- <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So
0: please teach a lesson on singleness.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, if you guys know me, never mind. I'm not going to throw myself under that bus. Okay. Um, So, is it wrong to date even if you don't want to get married? Okay, Um, yes and no. And let me explain. Yes, because if you're like, I never want to be married, but I like having this guy around me because he makes me look good, or he gives me, he makes me feel good, or he says nice things to me, or whatever, then um, you are. You are messing with his heart in a way that um, is not God-honoring. And if things aren't glorifying to God, then why are you doing them? Mm. Um, and so if you are in this place and... Uh, okay, wow. This just opened a lot of <laughs> doors for me. If, okay, I also hate this whole stigma of, well, if you're not ready to get married within six t- months to 12 months, then you shouldn't date anybody. Okay no everyone is in different seasons of life so if you're like hey i want to get married but i don't okay a girl i'm discipling right now she's a freshman in college um she's not like yeah i want to get married within the next six months she's like i just started my life basically um but she's dating somebody and she liked him and he liked her and they're both following jesus so they started dating and that's it that's okay to do that even if you don't see marriage within like a year like you don't have to have this huge timeline in order to date somebody you don't have to have everything figured out before you start dating somebody that's what I'm trying to say but again if you're if you're sitting there and you're like I don't ever want to be married but I want to date this guy because it seems like it'd be fun or I want to date this girl because then people will think I'm cooler or whatever your intentions are if you're intentions are not to glorify god then don't do it and that even goes back to what is the whole purpose of getting married it's literally to be a picture of christ and his bride and if you're not in the boat of i want to show the gospel through my marriage then i don't think you should be getting married and i'm not even married and i'm thinking these things but i also um 1st corinthians chapter 7 the um I mean, the whole chapter is basically on singleness, but in it, in chapter 7, starting in just verse 35, um, Paul is talking about how he thinks it's, it's, it's better to be single for some people. And he says this, and he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So is it wrong to date even if you don't want to get married? Um, again, yes and no, you can start dating somebody and the Lord could totally radically move your all's hearts and move your all's lives to get married really quickly because he wants you guys to, um, go to Africa and be missionaries. Like, I don't know. Um, but also don't rush into dating just because you are lonely or you're desperate because that person isn't going to fulfill you. Um, and I know that's super elementary to think about, but um, singleness is so, so sweet when you use it to focus on the Lord and you, and I've heard this before um, and I, I love this. You want to be the person you're looking for is looking for yes. meaning. um, I mean, I could sit up here and tell you all day the things that I pray about my future husband. But at the end of the day, I want him to be sold out to Christ. And if I want that, then I myself have to be sold out to Christ. Because I can't set a standard for someone I myself don't even meet. Mm -hmm. So when you are desiring to be married, again, you're not going to have your whole life figured out. You're not going to have your whole relationship with Christ figured out. But make sure... You are seeking first his kingdom and make sure whoever you date is doing the same thing. Again, this is if you have any more questions about this, please come talk to me. I'm very passionate about this topic. Okay. Um,
0: something that I would add to that is um, I'm curious. When you guys think of the word sanctification, fancy church word, what does that mean? Give me an answer. What does sanctification mean? Becoming holy. Becoming holy, right? Uh, some might some say it's to be set apart. Right, but how many of you uh, think that to be set apart means to be alone? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, bro, I do. Yeah, I kind of do. uh... Yeah. (laughs) Sanctified means to be set apart by myself, party just for one. Um, But think about it this way. Mm -hmm. So God actually has been showing me some things about this recently. Um, I was talking to a guy about this actually earlier this week. That to be sanctified, so the, so the Bible defines things, right? Defines reality for us. One of the things the Bible defines is that is that for those who don't have a relationship with God, they are separate from any understanding of truth. Okay, we use the term lost. They're lost. They're just kind of floating out in space, right? But as soon as they are found, as soon as they are saved, they are placed within community. Okay, a, a body of, of, of believers, right? The Bible uses that imagery that, that some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are eyes, right? We all have different functions, but we all work together. We go from having no allegiance and no family, no community to actually having community. So to be sanctified means to be set apart away from lostness into purpose and community. Okay, Now, I know, I, I know that sex is a big deal. I know it. Right, and I know that that's a constant struggle for everybody in this room. It is; it's a part of being human. But I want to. But one of the things that God has been teaching me over and over and over again this year. This is the year of holiness for me, the year of sanctification. Um, is that it's not just enough to know His Word; we have to obey His Word. First Thessalonians says this. He says, "Finally, then, brethren." We urge you and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we we gave to you uh, through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in (coughs) sanctification and honor, not in possession of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified for God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Therefore, we who uh, he who rejects this, listen to this, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has also given us the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying Listen, God did not call us to uncleanness. There, there is, uh, when you define dating someone, there's a whole range of how you can categorize that and how you can define that. For some, dating means getting to know someone between families, having families hang out, hanging out with, with a girl's family, getting to know her family for the purpose of wondering if that's going to be a good match for you or, or vice versa. On the other end of the spectrum, it's literally, I find you attractive and I want to have sex with you let's be honest the spectrum here how we use these words is important to define this correctly this the side of the spectrum where it's about pleasure and about sex and about just getting what you want it's wickedness and it's destructive for you it's poisonous to you it may taste good in your mouth but going down it will kill you and it'll destroy future relationships and that doesn't just mean if you're having sex with a person. It also means if you're having sex with a screen. It is bad for you. Song of Solomon says, Do not awaken love before the appropriate time. Abs- I know that abstinence is an old school word, but I'm telling you, it is bad for you. It's poison. You had something? Yeah.
2: yeah um, so I had this question for a long time, which was like, why why does the Bible not seem to address dating in a more like clear way? Why does it not seem present in the Bible? And I kind of wrestled with this for a long time. And I heard Krista actually say something a long time ago. She said, "If you're not married in God's eyes, you're single." And so I I kind of didn't even really grasp that. And and Sam, who is the guy with the really good dating sermon series? Ben Stewart. Ben Stewart. First of all, highly recommend looking that up on YouTube. Ben Stewart's YouTube series or YouTube sermon series on uh on dating is really good but uh one of the things that he said in there really made it made it click and made what Krista said click with me which is this dating is not a state of being it's not its own relationship status Mm -hmm. it is a process by which we evaluate someone for marriage Mm -hmm. you're either moving forward through it or you're getting out of it there's not a sitting state when when it comes to dating and, and, and the reason for that is exactly the scripture that Krista read, which is which is this. Your focus needs to be totally on Jesus Christ and his gospel. And what you're doing when you're dating, you're not only distracting yourself, but you're distracting yourself with a sharp <laughs> object. You're playing with with fire. You're playing with a knife, right? Like, focus yourself on Jesus, right? Don't make an idol out of dating. Don't make an idol out of, out of getting married. And at the right time listen, if God has blessed you with singleness, then he's going to sustain you in that. And you're going to have fulfillment outside of a relationship. And if God hasn't, then at the right moment, as you're chasing Jesus and the person he has for you is chasing Jesus, he's going to bring you together. That is how you should focus on dating. Did you wake up this morning and you were single? Okay, then today focus on Jesus in being single. And one of these days, You'll go to bed in a relationship. You'll wake up the next morning in a relationship. And that day, we got a new game to play, right? And we're, we're moving through that evaluation process towards marriage. But every day you wake up single, focus on being single and worshiping God in that.
1: Just, um, oh, sorry. Mm. Same thing
0: is true for being married. I mean, yeah. we wake up and we're married. It's like, oh, wow, I still need to chase Jesus today. <laughs> it's still a thing. Yep.
1: Um, Another thing on this, another book is Not Yet Married, The Pursuit of Joy and Singleness and Dating. That book literally changed my life. Um, I had, I was, my first semester at TCC, I went in Tito's minivan with some other, one of the boys from the BC, and we went to Chick-fil-A. And I will never forget this. uh, One of our students, his name's Owen, he's sitting in the front. And we're all just, like, hanging out laughing. And he was like, guys, I have to read this to you. And we were like, why are you reading? Um, Anyway, he was like, okay. So um, he was reading that book, Not Yet Married. And in it, I don't have the whole quote or anything, but in it, basically, the whole thing was as a single person your greatest gift is your yes yes to that coffee yes to helping the friend move in yes to doing whatever needs to be done because you don't you can be selfish with your time and the sense that you don't have to consider anybody else's feelings in those in those moments like i mean i i mean i enjoy this because especially in ministry like i can have a girl call me at like 10 o'clock at night and she's like hey i really need to talk to you or Hey, one time I met a girl at a Walmart to walk around and it was like 1030 at night, but I didn't have to ask anybody. I didn't have to look at my husband and be like, hey, Mm-mm. is it okay if I go do this? I was like, girl, I got you. Like, I'm on my way. Um, so, I mean, rejoicing in, in those moments and in that time. And I want to say this because I think it needs to be said. And it's so it's just in a lot of uh, conversations I have. Um, if you are a Christian and you're dating a Christian and you guys break up, you didn't fail. It's okay. And I say that because I've seen this in my own life and in just lives of, of girls that I minister to, just I I again it goes back to that aspect that I think a lot of Christians just have the stigma that like you need to know if you're going to marry this person before you even start dating them. When clearly Taylor was like, it's definitely an evaluation. Um, And I think a lot of times people think that if you dated somebody and you break up, then it's a waste of time. But the only person that can waste time is you. God cannot waste time. And if you're, if God is at the center of that relationship and you guys date and break up, None of that, How is that time wasted? Because if you're saying that that time was wasted, then you're putting God in a box. Mm-hmm. During that time, God probably just had to teach you some things. God has taught me some things through some breakups that I've gone through that, I mean, I, in those moments, I thought it was the end of the world. But through this time, it's been so sweet to look back on those things and be like, hey, that time wasn't wasted. I had to learn some things and I even had to learn some things that, I had to go off and teach other girls. Mm-hmm. So in those moments, like, again, if you break up, it is not a failure. And you mm-hmm. are the only one who can waste time. And the only way you can waste time is not keeping God at the center of it. And if that's mm-hmm. the case, then y'all just need a up.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, there's probably five to ten more questions that we're not going to get time to answer tonight. And, and I want to tell you guys, that's upsetting to me. Because that means that a lot of you are walking around with just these questions rattling around in your head, not asking anybody, okay? This is like literally all we want to do is help you guys with these questions. And help. And, and if I don't have the answer, I will find somebody mm-hmm. who does. So if you've got something that's just nagging at you and you just can't figure out how how to handle a situation or, how, or where it says something about this in the Bible, please come talk <coughs> to us. Like we would love to help you work through these things. And we're not like super geniuses or anything, but we will figure out what the answer is. And maybe we need to even dissect something further with you and and walk you through it. We will. That's literally what we do. So please let us help you if you've got these questions uh, hanging out.